It was May the 25th, 1977, that the first Star Wars movie was released. <laughs> now think about that, almost 40 years ago. Think how many generations have been raised on these movies. There have been seven of those movies, including the current one. There's another one to be released in 2017. It has been considered the most watched movie in the history of Filmland. They say over 90% of the American public has seen one portion, at least, of the Star Wars movies. It's been estimated that almost 45% of the entire world has seen some of the Star Wars movies. Incredible. What is it that draws us to stories like this? I think there are many reasons, some good, maybe some not, but among them is number one, it has no focus on sex. It has little, if any, foul language, but it engages our curiosity in the fact that there is something beyond this world. And probably more than anything else, it taps in to the hope that is in every person, and that is that ultimately good wins that good triumphs over evil. And we all hope and believe that to be true, don't we? It affects every generation. Just like a moment ago where we were, in a sense, passing the peace, may the peace of God be with you and stuff. My daughter tells me that my five-year-old grandson at a similar service turned to a person and said, may the force be with you. <laughs> And that's what he heard, you know. Who hears peace? It, the force, right, with you. <laughs> and we all know that Lucas meant something bigger than what we think of when we say force. Very interesting. But the most popular story in all of the world the story that probably 90% of the whole world knows and most celebrate is the story of the king of all of the stars. Dallas Willard said it well. He said, the universe is a friendly place because Christ has come. Amen. Amen. We know there's ultimate justice and ultimate good. Today, we've been looking at for this whole month in the series of Advent, the great hymns, carols, and things that we've seen at this time of year. Now, this was the Sunday after, really, Advent, and the census is over, at least in our normal traditions, not so much for the Eastern tradition. but. Um, uh, Mark said, hey, it's open text, you can do whatever you want. 
And that's, that's every pastor's greatest fear. Um, <laughs> because where do you go? Um, but I said, you know, I've been thinking about him. And, and he propped in and he said, oh, he said, you know what? He said, it's a suggestion, but he said, why don't you use Joy of the World? He said, we, we haven't used it. And I said, you got it. And as I dug into that hymn, I realized we really should preach four weeks on this hymn. It is incredible as far as what is here. Isaac Watts wrote this hymn in 1719 as a young man who was very accomplished in verse and literary things. His, he came home from church one day and he said to his father, he said, Dad, he said, I just hate going to church because of all the dreary, dull songs we sing. <laughs> and his dad said, well, son, why don't you do something about it? And for the next 20 years, Isaac Watts wrote over 750 hymns. Many of them are hymns we sing here every week. You would know all of them. But this was one of his first and he was studying Psalm 98. And this hymn comes out of his study of Psalm 98. So I want you to stand now and listen to this Psalm and see how you can see where this hymn comes from. Just say, please stand. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of His nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise between the, before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bill. Isaac Watts said that praise to God must begin with joy in the heart. And so he penned these words. If you will turn now to page eight in your bulletin, I want to read these words and not the repeated ones, but read them. And I want you to see how he has pulled forth the truth from this psalm. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. 
while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infect the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He rules the world with great truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Each stanza contains an amazing nugget of truth. Stanza one says, let every heart prepare him room. Stanza two, let every one sing because Christ reigns. Stanza three, Christ makes his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. And stanza four, he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Today I want to look at three of those, really mainly for time's sake. And I want to look at three of them in the sense of three questions for you. Here are the three. Number one, have I prepared him room in my heart? Have I prepared him room in my heart? Number two, how can I place his blessings where I find the curse? How can I place his blessings where I find the curse? And thirdly, how can I promote his righteousness and the wonders of his love? First, preparing him room in your heart. There truly is joy in the world because as we can say, this universe has now opened up to us because of Christ has come and that gives us great joy. If it is truly our King, you see, if he is our King, then our hearts must receive him and open to him. This is probably the most direct connection with the Christmas story because we know there was a time in which there was no room in the end for the king of all creation. But the question we have to ask is have we prepared our hearts and made room for Christ? A number of years ago, a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Robert Munger wrote a little booklet entitled, My Heart, Christ's Home. That little booklet since that time has sold over 10 million copies. And in this story, he tells us if we, when we use the phrase, receive Christ into our hearts, what would it be like if we thought of our hearts like our home and the rooms that are in our home? If Christ is our king and we've given him in essence the title deed to our lives and he were to come into our living room, he might ask questions like, what conversations do you have in this living room? He might ask, what shows do you watch on television in this room? 
if he were to walk into your home office or study or where you do your business at home, would you be comfortable if he were to say, may I look at your checkbook? Would you be comfortable if he were to say, what are the books in your reading stack? What are you reading? If he were to walk down the hall and see a door and say, what is that door? And you were to say, well, it's a closet where I store a lot of old junk. And he would say, well, if I own this home, I want you to open that door. You know, Lord, there's stuff in there I should have thrown out long ago. Uh, there's some things that I've kept that I probably shouldn't have. He says, if I own this home, open the door. Yes, sir. You open the door and he sees things in there you're not proud of. And so he says, let's clean it out. And so we clean it out and we throw it away. And once it's all cleaned up, we feel so much better. And then he says, let's go upstairs. What is that door? Well, that goes to my bedroom. Hmm. What happens in your bedroom? If you're married, do you pray with your mate at night? Do you love your wife or your husband with a fervency and a creativity so that they can flourish as an individual? If Christ is Lord of our lives, he deserves to be in every part of our lives. And that's what Munger is telling us that every part of our life belongs to Christ. Every bit of it, every bit of it. And we must prepare him room in every room in our house. The second stanza is one that I've pondered many, many times. It still intrigues me the most of this whole song. And it's the stanza that says, <clears throat> that we, or the question that I ask, how can I place his blessings as far as the curse is found? Now that's an interesting statement. What was Isaac Watts referring to when he said, as far as the curse is found? What is the curse? Well, it is first mentioned in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat of fruit that they were told not to eat of, and they were clearly told the results that would happen if they did. And then God curses Satan for having tempted them, and then he curses the earth. He doesn't curse Adam and Eve, but he curses the earth and places them under the curse. And he says, Eve, you will be reminded that every time a child is born because of the pain in childbirth of the curse. Adam, every time you go out to make a living and you find difficulties, thorns and thistles, things that keep you from having the productivity that you want to have, it will be because you're under the curse. And you will experience the sorrow of death. That's the curse. 
Paul picks this up to help us understand it, probably as any other writer does, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. And he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the results of the curse, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us in what we ultimately will become. For the creation was subjected to futility, the curse, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what will come to us. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. That's a reflection of Genesis 3. So what is the curse? The curse is what we commonly call, we live in a fallen world. The curse are those things that ought not be. They are the things that should be different, but so often are not. They're things that could be helped and changed, but they aren't. Recently I read of a man who went through a small village in southern Sudan and they were burying scores, scores of young children and babies. They all died of a disease. The disease was measles. One we cure and treat every day in America. It ought not be. It just shouldn't be, but it is. It might be as simple as helping someone clean up something. There's some clutter in their life, in their place of life, to help them return it to the beauty that was intended to be there. It might be as complex as returning a failing business to profitability or solving an employee problem. I recently read of a man, Christian, in the Midwest who owned a large number of McDonald's franchises. And when he would gather his managers, one of the things they would say is the biggest problem that they faced was the problem of employee retention. That so many employees just don't show up for work. And they have to fire them. And then they have to try to find someone else, retrain them, get them ready for work, and it's time-consuming time and costing the companies thousands and thousands of dollars. So the owner said, let's work on that problem. So he went out and interviewed the people who had been fired. And he said, tell me, why did you not come to work? And one woman said, my child got sick and I had to go to the hospital, and I sat in the waiting room for five hours, and I couldn't get to work. I had to take care of my child. Another man said, I was on my way to work, and my car broke down, and I didn't have the money to fix it. 
and I didn't want to leave it beside the road, and it just took most of the day to, to get a friend to come and help me. And on and on and on the stories went. And finally the man said, we can fix this problem. So he instituted what he called the McDonald's hotline. And he said, any employee who encounters a problem in their family and has need of any kind of transportation, you call the hotline and a corporate van will come and take you to the hospital, come and take you to where you need to go, take you to a doctor's office, take you to the place to get your car fixed and take care of you and then it will bring you to work. And guess what happened? Employee retention zoomed back up. Morale became such that I wanted to work at McDonald's. <laughs> and the company saved thousands of dollars. Because one man, one believer, took the blessings of Christ to where the curse was found. And you see, that's why we're on this earth. We're on this earth not simply to talk about Christ as our Savior, yes, but we're also to bring His blessings to this fallen world. Because the curse is everywhere. It is in every one of our lives. The third thing, question that we come to, is how can I promote His righteousness and the wonders of His love? The stanza itself gives us the answers in that it starts with Christ rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness. Now, how does that work? Even nations in the world that refuse to let missionaries come in, even nations in the world that will not let a church open, even nations in the world that, will, that outlaw the sharing of the gospel with another person in their country, or make it illegal for a person to change their religion. In essence, those nations are actually proving the righteousness of Christ, because why? They're afraid of what the righteousness of Christ will do. You see, it changes people from the inside out. And when they begin to understand what real truth is, then they begin to realize the corruption in the governments and the things that are around them. But when they also realize what grace is, they also begin to learn how to live in the midst of that without fear. What are the glories of His righteousness? I think at least two things. Number one, that Christ alone has provided the way for us to be right with God. Christ alone has provided the way for us to be right with God. That is what brings joy to the world. There is a way to be right with God. That's why Martin Luther started the entire Reformation, because he realized it wasn't my righteousness that got me right with God, it was God's righteousness given to me that made me right with God. And when he learned that truth, studying the fourth chapter of Romans, 
it says he staggered out into the hallway, realizing the impact, the impact of that thought. And when he almost tripped against the wall, he grabbed a rope that was there to hold him, and it happened to be the rope to the bell tower. And the bell began to ring all over the land because grace reigns, not legalism. Secondly, the glory of his righteousness is that Christ alone provides the power to live a life that is righteous, a life that is full of goodness, kindness, mercy, and compassion. Think of it, it was Christians who made the first hospitals. It was Christians who took medical societies to the mission world. It's Christians that go and help bring micro loans to poor people who merely are eager to try to find a base so they can provide for their families and educate their children. We have this great ministry in Senegal where now the entire Muslim population is looking at the Christian businessmen and realizing, wow, they're being so successful because of micro loans. And we're learning how to do it right and how to do it well. When we speak of the wonders of the righteous, his righteousness, and we tell of his grace and his truth, we bring hope and courage to a world that is filled with the curse of discouragement, of injustice. And when we share the wonders of his love with those around us, we become magnets for Christ. I think of a tribe that just recently learned how to write and how to read and were presented for the first time the gospel in their own language. And what joy came to their hearts because they could read their own language and understand the grace and truth of Christ. And Christians who labored for years for that to happen. I think of the Jesus film and how it's been shown to over two billion people on this earth in its early days and its concept even one of our own members here helped initially pay for that film and how it's changed so many people's lives. It's my great intention to take all of my family to see a, a film shown for the very first time to a culture that has never heard of Christ. I recently did this in Zimbabwe. We simply put up a sheet showed the film in their own language, and literally hundreds afterwards came forward to make Christ their Savior. You cannot believe the joy that was in their faces. What an amazing thing. I think of mercy ships where doctors and nurses, technicians go from port to port to bring medical care to people and surgeries for them and literally people will line up and stand in line for three and four days at a time just to get the care. Christians bringing the wonders of the love of Christ to them. One of my favorites is Satellite 7. 
You've heard me speak of that before, that trans, uh, transmits the gospel via satellite into Arabic and Farsi, and they've seen literally tens of thousands of people come to know Christ. Then they begin to realize that the curse was affecting a certain area, and that is where tens of thousands of refugees had run into camps. And one of the things that you discover when you go to these camps is the first thing people take when they flee their homes is their satellite dish. And their satellite dish is almost on every tent. And so they decided, here are children who cannot go to school. So they created a program called My School. And now these little children can learn how to read and how to write and how to learn their numbers and learn math. And the parents are just ecstatic that while they're there, they're not losing time for their children to grow in the knowledge that they need to go forward in life. And when the parents see this, they get curious, and then they go to the other programs that SAT7 has, and they're coming to Christ by the thousands. You see, that's taking the wonders of the love of Christ to where the curse is found. When you think about this, these wonders of Christ, you want to ask yourself this question. So how does this come forth from my life? What can you do about this on Monday, tomorrow? Three things. I want you to remember three things. Pray, examine, and revel. Okay? Pray, examine, and revel. Pray. Listen. Prepare room in your hearts for Christ by giving Him control. Pray and say, Lord Jesus, give me the courage to invite you into every part of my life, every room in my heart, into my work life, into my love life, into my social life, my school life, my home life. If you make this one of your resolutions for New Year, I guarantee you that it'll be a resolution that you will keep. And you know why? Because God likes to answer those kinds of prayers. Secondly, examine. Ask God to help you see where the curse has affected the world in which you live. Where is the curse around you? Where is it? It might be that a person across the street has become so ill that they cannot take care of their yard and literally the thorns and thistles are growing up and they need help. It might be a widow that lives across the way that you can pick up her paper every morning and set it at her doorstep. It might be that you go to school and you see a friend who's having a hard time that day. And instead of just saying hi, you sit down with them and you say, tell me what's going on and just be a listening ear of a friend at school. You see, the curse is everywhere. It's in every life. It's in every circumstance. It's the things that just shouldn't be. It's the things that ought to be different. 
It's the things that could be helped that aren't being helped. And God calls you to be a, a channel of the flow of the blessings of Christ so that his wonders of love can be seen. Last of all is examine or revel in the wonders of Christ's love in your life and share them. Recently, I, I pulled down a book from my, my uh, wife's books, and this was one of her favorite books. And it is entitled, Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are, 1,000 Gifts. 1,000 Gifts. And the story is that a friend challenged the lady who wrote this book. She said, the way to live a life of real joy is a life that is filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. So I challenge you to begin to write down the things God does where he shows you the wonders of his love and make a list of 1,000 of them. I'm one third of the way there. And it's been so much fun, I don't think I'll stop at 1,000. You see, at the end of each day, when you look back and you write down, Lord, thank you that that happened. Oh, and thank you that that happened. Thank you so much for that person that called me and encouraged me today. Thank you for that new opportunity you gave me today. Thank you. I just felt good all day today. The wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. So let me end by asking you this question. Has the force awakened you yet? <laughs> That's a serious question because we just celebrated the real force. The real force is the joy of Christ. The real force is the power of Jesus Christ. And when it awakens your heart, you begin to live a life that is forever full of joy. So we're gonna stand and sing joy to the world. We'll sing it with new understanding. May it bless you deeply. <laughs>